0: Chapter 9 of The Vicar of Rexhill. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Vicar of Rexhill by Francis Milton Trollope. Chapter 9. Helen and Rosalind call upon Sir Gilbert Harrington. Helen Mowbray knew that the choleric friend whose gentler feelings she wished to propitiate was an early riser himself and was never better disposed to be well pleased with others than when they showed themselves capable of following his example she was therefore anxious to arrive at his house in time to have the conversation she sought yet dreaded before nine o'clock the usual family breakfast hour though in the shooting season sir gilbert generally contrived to coax my lady and her housekeeper to have hot rolls smoking on the table by eight but luckily for the young lady's morning repose it was not shooting season and they calculated that if they started about half-past seven they should have time for their walk and a reasonably long conversation afterwards before the breakfast to which they looked as the pacific conclusion of the negotiation should be ready at half-past seven accordingly the fair friends met at the door of rosalind's dressing-room and set off fearless though unattended through the shrubberies the park the flowery lanes and finally across one or 2 hayfields which separated the two mansions nothing can be better calculated to raise the animal spirits than an early walk in the gay month of june and on those not accustomed to the elasticity the freshness the exhilarating clearness of the morning air the effect is like enchantment all the sad thoughts which had of late so constantly brooded round helen's heart seemed to withdraw their painful pressure and she again felt conscious of the luxury of life with youth health and innocence a clear sky bright verdure flowery banks and shady hedgerows to adorn it rosalind by an irresistible impulse of gaiety joined her voice to those of the blackbirds that carolled near her till she was stopped by helen's exclaiming rosalind i feel courage for anything this morning yes answered her companion let sir gilbert appear in any shape but that of the vicar of wrexhill and i should greet him with a degree of confidence and kindness that i am positive would be irresistible they were now within a short distance of the baronet's grounds and another step brought their courage to the proof for on mounting a stepping-stile which had originally been placed for the especial accommodation of the mowbray ladies they perceived the redoubtable sir gilbert at the distance of fifty paces in the act of removing an offending dock-root with his spud he raised his eyes and recognizing his young visitors stepped eagerly forward to meet them to rosalind however though usually a great favorite he now paid not the slightest attention but taking helen in his arms kissing her on both cheeks and on the forehead and then looking her in the face very much as if he were going to weep over her he exclaimed my poor poor child why did you not bring poor fanny too you are right to come away quite right my dear child it's dreadful to live in dependence upon any one's caprice for one's daily bread your home shall be here helen and fanny's too as long as you like "'Come, my dear, take my arm. My lady will dance, you may depend upon it when she sees you, for we have had dreadful work about keeping her from Mowbray. I'd just as soon keep a wild cat in order as your godmother, Helen, when she takes a fancy. But you know, my dear, her going to Mowbray was a thing not to be thought of. You are a good girl to come. It shows that you see the matter rightly. I wish Fanny were here too.' all this was said with great rapidity and without pausing for any answer meanwhile he had drawn helen's arm within his and was leading her towards the house rosalind followed them quietly for a few steps and then either moved thereto by the feeling of courage her walk had inspired or from some latent consciousness of the baronet's partiality to herself she boldly stepped up and took his arm on the other side "'Bless my soul, Miss Torrington, by the honour of a knight I never saw you, nor do I think I should have seen a regiment of young ladies, though they had all been as handsome as yourself, if they had happened to come with my poor dear Helen. It was very good of you to walk over with her, poor little thing. Your fortune is quite safe and independent, my dear, isn't it? Nobody's doing a foolish thing can involve you in any way, can it? Not unless the foolish thing happened to be done by myself, Sir Gilbert.' that's a great blessing my dear a very great blessing and you'll be kind to our two poor girls won't you my dear i have more need that they should be kind to me and so they are and we are all very kind to one another and if you will but be very kind too and come and see us all as you used to do we shall be very happy again in time stuff and nonsense child you may come here i tell you and see me as much as you like under my own roof because i know who that belongs to and all about it but i promise you that you will never see me go into houses that don't belong to their right owner it would not suit me in the least quite out of my way i should be making some confounded blunder and talking to poor charles about his estate and his property poor fellow and he not worth sixpence in the world during all this time helen had not spoken a word they had now nearly reached the house and drawing her arm away she held out her hand to sir gilbert and said in a very humble and beseeching tone sir gilbert may i speak to you alone for a few minutes speak to me my child what about is it about a sweetheart is it about wanting pocket-money my dear child i am executor to your father's will you know helen and if you are starving in a ditch and fanny in another and poor charles begging his bread on the high road i have not the power of giving either of ye a shilling of his property though he has left above fourteen thousand a year sir gilbert was now lashing himself into a rage that it was evident would render the object of helen's visit abortive if she attempted to bring it forward now she exchanged a glance with rosalind who shook her head and the next moment contrived to whisper in her ear wait till after breakfast sir gilbert was now striding up the steps to the hall door the two girls silently followed him and were probably neither of them sorry to see colonel harrington coming forward to meet them this young man had for the two or three last years seen but little of the mowbray family having been abroad during nearly the whole of that time but he returned with something very like a tender recollection of helen's having been the prettiest little nymph at fifteen that he had ever beheld and her appearance at this moment was not calculated to make him think she had lost her delicate beauty during his absence her slight tall figure was shown to great advantage by her morning dress and the fair and abundant curls that crowded round her face now a little flushed by exercise and agitation made her altogether as pretty a creature in her peculiar style as a young soldier would wish to look upon the coal-black hair and sparkling dark eyes of rosalind her ruby lips and pearl-like teeth her exquisite little figure and the general air of piquant vivacity which made her perfectly radiant when animated rendered her in most eyes the more attractive of the two but colonel harrington did not think so and giving her one glance of curiosity for he had never seen her before he decided that neither she nor any other woman he had ever beheld could compare in loveliness with his former friend and favourite his greeting to helen was just what might be expected from a man who had known her with great intimacy when she was some half-dozen inches shorter and who felt the strongest possible desire to renew the acquaintance with as little delay as possible helen mowbray he exclaimed springing forward and seizing her hand how delighted i am to see you how is dear little fanny how is charles i trust you have none of you forgotten me helen blushed deeply at the unexpected ardor of this address from a very tall handsome fashionable-looking personage whose face she certainly would not have recognized had she met him accidentally but a happy smile accompanied the blush and he had no reason to regret the politic freedom of his first salutation which had thus enabled him to pass over an infinity of gradations toward the intimacy he coveted at one single step placing him at once on the footing of a familiar friend. It was indeed nearly impossible that Helen could be offended by the freedom, for not only was it sanctioned by the long-established union of their two families, but at this moment she could not but be pleased at finding another dear old friend in the garrison, who would be sure to add his influence to that of her godmother, that what she so greatly wished to obtain should not be refused. Before they reached the breakfast-room, therefore, the most perfect understanding was established between them, her friend miss torrington was gaily introduced for her heart felt gladdened by this important addition to her supporters in the cause she had undertaken and she was disposed to believe that rosalind's proposal to make this alarming visit would turn out to have been one of the most fortunate things that ever happened within the breakfast-room and approachable by no other access was a small room known throughout the mansion and indeed throughout the neighbourhood also as my lady's closet this sacred retreat was an oblong room about eighteen feet by eight a large and lofty window occupied nearly one end of it across which was placed a deal dresser or table of three feet wide filling the entire space between the walls the whole room was lined with shelves and drawers the former of which were for the most part sheltered by heavy crimson damask curtains a few small tables stood scattered here and there and the sole accommodation for sitting consisted of one high stool such as laundresses use when ironing to the door of this apartment sir gilbert approached and there reverently stopped for by the law of the land even he though a pretty extensively privileged personage was permitted to go no farther unless licensed by an especial warrant from its mistress my lady he said in the cheerful lusty voice that announces agreeable tidings my lady i have brought home company to breakfast have you sir knight replied lady harrington without turning her head or otherwise interrupting herself in the performance of some apparently delicate process upon which she was occupied i'd rather have mrs bluebeard for a wife than such an incurious old soul as you are said the testy baronet and so you have not even the grace to ask who it is why my dear sir tiger i shall be sure to know within two minutes after tomkins gives his passing thump to announce that he is carrying in the coffee then why should i disturb this fairest of the Pentandria class my charming high-dried mirabilis the devil take you and all your classes orders and tribes to his own hot-house i'll be hanged if i don't lock you into your den while i breakfast with her you shan't see her at all mother mother exclaimed the colonel hastily to anticipate the execution of the threat it is helen mowbray helen mowbray cried the old lady thrusting her hot smoothing-iron on one side and her blossom blotting-paper on the other while the precious mirabilis fell to the ground helen mowbray and pushing aside the baronet by no very gentle movement of her tall and substantial person she rushed forward and helen was speedily folded in a very close embrace there 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 don't stifle the girl old lady and supposing you were to bestow one little monosyllable of civility upon this pretty creature miss torrington who stands smiling at us all like an angel though every soul amongst us is as rude as a bear to her i don't believe you ever found yourself so entirely neglected before my dear i have never witnessed attention more gratifying to me than that which i have seen displayed this morning replied rosalind "'You are a good girl, a very good girl, my dear, "'and I shall always love you for coming over "'with this poor, dear, disinherited child.' "'Miss Torrington, I am delighted to see you now and ever, "'my dear young lady,' said Lady Harrington, "'who, when she chose it, could be as dignified "'and as courteous, too, as any lady in the land. "'You have walked over, I am sure, "'by the bright freshness of your looks. "'Now then, sit down one on each side of me "'that I may be able to see you "'without hoisting a lunette d'approche "'across this prodigious table.' and so because your ladyship is near-sighted said sir gilbert william and i are to sit at this awful distance from these beautiful damsels you are a tiresome old soul as ever lived and that's the reason you appear so profoundly melancholy and miserable at this moment said lady harrington looking with no trifling degree of satisfaction at the radiant good-humour and happiness which the unexpected arrival of helen had caused to be visible in the countenance of her boisterous husband do you find william much altered helen she continued i wonder if any one has had the grace to present colonel haddington to miss torrington helen did me that kind office said the colonel and i suppose she must do the same for me to little fanny i long to see if she continues as surpassingly beautiful as she was when i took my sad reluctant leave of mowbray park rosalind immediately became answerable for the undiminished beauty of fanny adding to her report on this point a declaration that the whole family were anxious to renew their acquaintance with him this was the nearest approach that any of the party ventured to make toward the mention of mowbray park or its inhabitants nevertheless the breakfast passed cheerfully and even without a word from sir gilbert in allusion to the destitute condition of helen and her brother and sister but when even the baronet had disposed of his last egg-shell pushed the ham fairly away from him and swallowed his last bowl of tea the beautiful colour of helen began gradually to deepen she ceased to speak and hardly seemed to hear what was said to her rosalind took the hint and with more tact than is usually found in the possession of seventeen and a half she said to lady harrington if i promise to keep my hands not only from picking and stealing but from touching will your ladyship indulge me with a sight of your press and your boxes and a volume or two of your hortus sicus for i feel considerable aspirations after the glory of becoming a botanist myself my ladyship will show you something infinitely more to the purpose then if you will come to the hothouse with me replied lady harrington rising and giving an intelligible glance to her son as she did so which immediately caused him to rise and follow her i cannot take you where i should be sure to overhear them my dear she added in a whisper as she led rosalind from the room for if my rough diamonds should chance to be too rough with her i should infallibly burst out upon them and yet i know well enough that i should do nothing but mischief Helen was thus left alone with the kind-hearted but pertinacious baronet. He seemed to have a misgiving of the attack that was about to be opened upon him, for he made a fidgety movement in his chair, pushed it back, and looked so very much inclined to run away that Helen saw no time was to be lost, and in a voice not oversteady said, "'I want to speak to you, Sir Gilbert, about my dear mamma. I fear from what you said to Charles, and more still by nobody's coming from Oakley to see us, that you are angry with her. If it is about the will, Sir Gilbert,' You do a great injustice. I am very, very sure that she neither wished for such a will, nor knew anything about it. It is very pretty and dutiful in you, Miss Helen, to say so, and to think so too, if you can. Perhaps I might have done the same at nineteen, but at sixty-five, child, one begins to know a little better what signs and tokens mean. There is no effect without a cause, Miss Helen. The effect in this affair is already pretty visible to all eyes, and will speedily become more so. You may depend upon it." the cause may be still hidden from babes and sucklings but not from an old fellow like me who knew your poor father girl before you were hatched or thought of and knew him to be both a good and a wise man who would never have done the deed he did unless under the influence of one as ever near and ever dear to him as your mother you have known my mother too sir gilbert for many years did you ever see in her any symptom of the character you now attribute to her If I had, Miss Helen, I should not loathe and abominate her hypocrisy, as I now do. I will never see her more, for all our sakes, for if I did, I know right well that I could not restrain my indignation within moderate bounds. Then certainly it would be better that you should not see her, said the weeping Helen, for indeed, sir, I think such unmerited indignation would almost kill her. If you knew anything about the matter, child, you would be aware that merited indignation would be more likely to disagree with her.' unmerited indignation does no one harm in the world as i can testify from experience for my lady is dreadfully indignant as i dare say you guess at my keeping her and william away from mowbray park and it's ten to one but you will be indignant too child but i can't help it i love you all three very much helen but i must do what i think right for all that not indignant sir gilbert at least that would not be the prevailing feeling with me though a sense of injustice might make it so with my poor mother what i shall feel will be grief unceasing grief if the friend my beloved father most valued and esteemed continues to refuse his countenance and affection to the bereaved family he has left from the time this conversation began sir gilbert had been striding up and down the room as it was always his custom to do when he felt himself in a rage or was conscious that he was about to be so he now stopped opposite helen and while something very like tenderness almost impeded his utterance he said that's trash abominable false trash miss helen after what's passed to-day to say nothing of times past you must know well enough that i am not likely to refuse my countenance and affection to your father's children bereaved they are sure enough you know as well as i do that i love you all three for your own sakes girl as well as for his and your pretending to doubt it was a hit of trumpery womanhood helen so never make use of it again for you see i understand the sex and that's just the reason why i like my old woman better than any other she in the wide world she never tries any make-believe tricks upon me believe me sir gilbert said helen smiling i hate tricks as much as my godmother can and if it were otherwise you are the last person i should try them upon but how can we think you love us if you will not come near mowbray you may think it and know it very easily child by the welcome you shall always find here it is very likely that you may not be long comfortable at home and before it happens remember i have told you that you shall always have a home at oakley but it must not be on condition of bringing your mother with you for see her i will not and there's an end helen remained silent she felt painfully convinced that at least for the present she should gain nothing by arguing the cause of her mother any farther and after a long pause during which sir gilbert continued to pace up and down before her she rose and sighing deeply said i believe it is time for us to return good-bye sir gilbert there was something in the tone of her voice which very nearly overset all the sturdy resolution of the baronet but instead of yielding to the weakness as he would have called it like a skilful general he marched off the field with his colours still flying and certainly without giving his adversary any reasonable ground to hope for victory they are all in the hot-house i believe said he walking before helen to a door of the hall which opened upon the beautiful gardens you have not seen my lady's heath for many a day helen she'll be savage if you go without taking a look at them helen followed without saying a word in reply for her heart was full and when she joined the trio who had so considerately left her to the uninterrupted possession of sir gilbert's ear there was no need of any questioning on their part or answering on hers to put them all in full possession of the result of the tete-a-tete it would be difficult to say which of the three looked most vexed perhaps lady harrington gave the strongest outward demonstrations of what she felt on the occasion she glanced frowningly at sir gilbert who looked as if he intended to say something amiable and seizing upon helen's two hands kissed them both exclaiming dearest and best what a heart of flint must that being have who could find the cruel strength to pain thee colonel harrington who discomposed and disappointed had thrown himself on a bench gave his mother a very grateful look for this, while Rosalind, after examining her sad countenance for a moment, pressed closely to her friend, and whispered, "'Let us go, Helen.' Poor Helen had no inclination to delay her departure, and knowing that her partial godmother was fully capable of understanding her feelings, she said, returning her caresses, "'Do not keep me a moment longer, dearest friend, for I fear I should weep, and then I am sure he would call it a trick.' "'I will not keep you, Helen,' replied Lady Harrington aloud. "'You have come on a mission of love and peace, and if I mistake not that heavy eye and feverish cheek, you have failed. Poor child! She does not look like the same creature that she did an hour and a half ago, does she, William?' "'Adieu, Lady Harrington,' said Helen, the big tears rolling down her cheeks, despite her struggles to prevent them. "'Good morning, Colonel Harrington. Farewell, Sir Gilbert.' this is hard miss torrington said the baronet turning from helen's offered hand this is confounded hard i am doing my duty and acting according to my conscience as a man of honour and yet i shall be made to believe that nero was a dove and Bluebeard a babe of grace compared to me but miss torrington being in no humour to answer him playfully said gravely i am very sorry we broke in upon you so unadvisedly sir gilbert it is plain our hopes have not been realised the young lady bowed silently to the colonel and taking a short farewell of lady harrington but one in which mutual kindness was mutually understood she took the arm of her discomfited friend and they proceeded towards the little gate in the iron fencing which divided the garden from the paddock in front of the house and you won't shake hands with me helen said sir gilbert following do not say so sir replied helen turning back and holding out her hand and when shall we see you here again whenever you will come and fetch me sir gilbert she replied endeavouring to look cheerful He took her hand, wrung it, and turned away without speaking. "'Your interdite, sir,' said Colonel Harrington, "'does not, I hope, extend beyond Mowbray Park Paling. "'I trust I may be permitted to take care of these young ladies as far as the lodges.' "'If you did not do it, you know very well that I should, you puppy,' replied his father, and so saying, he turned into a walk which led in a direction as opposite as possible from that which his ireful lady had chosen. Colonel Harrington felt that it required some exertion of his conversational powers, to bring his fair companions back to the tone of cheerful familiarity which had reigned among them all at the breakfast-table but the exertion was made and so successfully that before the walk was ended a feeling of perfect confidence was established between them when they were about to part he said my mother and i shall labour and cease not to work our way through the ecourse to the kernel of my good father's heart and there we shall find exactly the material we want of which to form a reconciliation between your mother and him farewell helen farewell miss torrington i trust that while the interdite lasts chance will sometimes favour our meeting beyond the forbidden precincts he stepped forward to open the park-gate for them shook hands uttered another farewell and departed End of chapter nine